Morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning. Sorry, do we have a, a clicker for the uh, slides? Up here. Oh, you've got it? Cheers. Thanks, Matt. Right. So, um, when I saw this passage, when uh, Brad first asked me if I, I, I would preach today, I saw this passage and I thought, yes, Colossians. I love it. One of my favorite books uh, in the New Testament. In fact, probably one of my, my, my favorite in the whole Bible. Uh, and it has been so instrumental in my life. In shaping my faith, my understanding of Jesus, I thought, yes, fantastic. And then, and then I saw the title, Natural Evangelism. And I thought, oh no. Because that's not something that uh, probably many of us think we're naturally good at, right? Evangelism. And this is the question this morning. How am I planning to intentionally become more like Jesus this year? This is the question, of course, for the series. So this is the broader question. But... We're asking this, it's in the back of our minds as we go through this, this passage, passage this morning from Colossians. And these are the questions that you'll have in the, uh, in the books, the little study books that you've been given. There are some out there in the, uh, in the entrance, uh, in the lobby area. If you haven't got one, I'm, uh, I'd encourage you to grab one. And these are, these are the sort of the, the key points that are being made uh, this morning in relation to this passage. So you have identity, um, a verb, a challenge, in a passage, a passage being Colossians 4 verses 2 to 6. And so this, a specific question this morning is, to what extent am I prayerfully looking for God-given opportunities to naturally talk about Jesus with others? Um, so let's get into it. Let's read the passage. Colossians 4 verses 2 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is Paul, if you didn't know. He's uh, writing to the church in Colossae, and he's kind of beginning to wrap up this letter. That's the rest of the passage. So let's, let's start in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Wouldn't we love to, to say that uh, we do this, right? But, but realistically, how many of us actually feel like we have a devoted prayer life? A really consistent prayer life? Now, some of you may, may have that, and I, I commend you. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards and take some more notes. But, uh, but, but realistically, many of us struggle with this idea that we could constantly... Uh, and devotedly be praying, you know, in tune with God, listening, sharing every kind of concern, every, every time someone cuts us off, instead of, you know, waving at them out the window, as sometimes we do, we would instead say, God, please, 
forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. Um, but the reality is that there are times when we can go all day, all week, sometimes longer, without actually taking our concerns to God in a heartfelt, in a sincere, in a real way, in a natural way. That is a tiny point, and you're never going to see that, are you? All right. Okay, that, that's a slight typo on my part there. Um, what it says is, pray like your life depends on it. That's the only one that's, uh, that, that, that size. Don't worry. Um, pray like your life depends on it. I think this is another way of understanding what Paul is saying here. Devote yourself to prayer. Pray like your life depends on it. Because it does. Your life does depend on a consistent, on a committed, on a heartfelt, on a sincere, natural prayer life. The decisions that you make every day should be informed by prayer. And the concerns that you can't deal with, the things that you can't fix, the the problems that seem unsolvable, they need to be committed in prayer. So we need to start with this attitude. We need to start with this approach. Um, I don't know if you recognise the guy on the right. You may not recognise the guy on the left, but certainly the guy on the right used to, uh, used to be an Aucklander, and now he's a Southlander. Um, is he still the mayor of uh, Invercargill? He is. Tim Shadbolt. Um, I'll tell you a little story. My, my uh, uncle, who was quite the, the rebel in his youth, uh, and probably well into uh, adulthood, uh, was a very good friend of Tim Shadbolt's back in the 60s. And uh, as, as rebels at university uh, and in the, in the kind of rebellious movement of those days, uh, my uncle and Tim Shadbolt were behind a lot of protests and marches and campaigns to change the world. Uh, the, um, the, the fact that Tim Shadbolt can talk, uh, of course, helped a great deal because he was able to lead from the front and really be a mouthpiece for various movements, various groups that he was a part of. But this here is a, a picture of when Tim Shabbolt and I can't remember the name of the other guy, but I think he was a radio DJ, uh, they, did the, the, well, they attempted to do the longest uh, interview in the world, I think the, the longest radio and perhaps TV interview. And it went for over 20 hours. They did this down in Southland, hoping to put Invercargill on the map, well, yet again. I'm, I'm, you know, there may be some Southlanders in here. Um, but in doing this, uh, they obviously laid out a challenge to others. Now, the funny thing is that these two here, you might recognise them from TV3, uh, they're now on the radio. They used to have a show uh, on Friday nights, and um, I, I also can say that I have some connection to one of them. Uh, Jono on the, on the left there, used to go, I used to go to school with him. Um, I wasn't really friends with him, I didn't really know him very well, but, but there's my, my claim to fame. Uh, and, and these two decided after hearing about this, this you know, incredibly long interview that set a world record, which actually had subsequently been uh, beaten by some Norwegians uh, who went for a, about an hour or two longer than Tim Shadbolt and his mate. Um, th- these two here, John and Ben, decided they were going to crack the record, but they were going to do it convincingly. They were going to go at least a good three or four hours longer. Now, they made it to 30 hours, and I think apparently they set the world record 
uh, in doing that. It was, a, it was the longest TV interview in the world. I think it's been verified by the Guinness Book of Records, uh, but someone could Google that and maybe tell me afterwards. Now, why am I saying all this? Well, if you saw these guys, and you know, also Tim Shadbolt, who's a great deal older than these two, by the way, um, if you saw them at the end of these epic you know, marathon interviews, you would understand uh, or sympathize in some respect with them because prayer can sometimes feel like that. Trying to be that, com- that devoted and that committed and, and, uh, and you're getting on your knees and praying you know, these long, long prayers of half an hour or, or longer, uh, which certainly were very popular in the Middle Ages and have, have sort of significantly decreased in popularity since, um, th- this, is, this is something that, that takes a great deal of effort. But we don't, in this busy world, we tell ourselves, have that kind of time. And if you recall last year when we were doing this series, um, you know, uh, right where you are, this concept of do we need to, uh, this question of do we need to pray, you know, exhaustively, extensively, for hours and hours on end, in order for it to be effective, that came up and we, we looked at it on a, at a, on a number of occasions. Um, but, but the truth is that it's about sincerity, it's about being natural, isn't it? And so, while it may seem like a mammoth effort to pray, it shouldn't be. Look at this, uh, you know, only to sort of make the point that Paul was consistent in what he, uh, he did, as well as preached. In Romans chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, he says, God, whom I serve with my whole heart, in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. Now, I think he's saying that because perhaps people had said, oh, yeah, you say that you pray all the time, but you don't really, do you, Paul? And he said, no, 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 God is my witness. I do. I pray for you all the time. First Corinthians, he, uh, he also says in chapter 1, verse 4, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Notice the, I always thank God for you. Paul was constantly in prayer. But constant prayer is more than just a running thought. It's also not as exhausting. In fact, it's not exhausting at all when you think about the person who gets on their knees and you know, sits there or kneels there for half an hour to an hour every night. It's, it doesn't have to be like that either. It doesn't have to be exhausting in that way either. What is it then? Oops, sorry. Hold on. There you go. Um, what is it then? Well, prayer is being able to not simply tap in, but recognize that we are already tapped in to the Spirit of God. And this is where we're going to, to explore a bit further later in the passage. Because as believers, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have Christ in us. So as we go through our day, he's aware of what we are facing. He's aware of the things we're thinking. He is right there with us. We still need to articulate the things that we struggle with for our our benefit rather than for his so that we can admit our weakness, we can admit, admit our need, our struggle. But in doing that, he says, I already knew, that's wonderful, I'm glad you now know it. Now listen to what I have to show you. 
And again, last year in the series we were doing, we looked at how you need to be able to go to the Word regularly in order to have some substance to your prayer life. It's easy to go back and go through the same kind of uh, shopping list of, of, of needs and problems and concerns and you know, questions over opportunities. But when you have something of substance, when you have the scripture that you've been reading that, that morning or that evening, to meditate on and to take before God and to uh, present to him and say, God, I don't really understand this passage, but, but please teach me. Then from that, he gives us not only understanding, but he shows us application. He shows us how it's going to work in our lives, perhaps tomorrow or later that day. This idea of being watchful in verse 2. It's ironic, isn't it, that Paul says this? He says, you know, devote yourselves to prayer, and then he says, be watchful. Well, if you ever tried praying at the dinner table with, say, you know, a four-year-old, you will know that this doesn't, doesn't really, um, uh, it's not hard for them to do. Uh, everybody else has got their eyes closed, and, and, and the four-year-old, or five-year-old in our case, uh, will be sitting there looking at their food and perhaps even prodding the, 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 the meal that they'd like to be eating right now. Uh, and as, as you go on and you continue to pray, they say, yeah, yeah, I'm in, and try to get into the food, take them to the food. Um, but for most of us, we think, how can we be praying, devoted to prayer, and watchful at the same time. Well, Paul's saying, if you're praying with your eyes open through your, throughout your day, throughout your waking uh, moments, you should be watchful in the sense that you're taking on board, you're taking in everything that's going on around you. You're very much present as you pray. It's hard sometimes, isn't it, to to at night, perhaps, go and, uh, and as you're about to fall asleep, you sort of pray and you think, all right, who should I remember to pray for? Oh, I, knew, I know there's someone I should be praying for. I can't remember. Oh, well, okay. You know who it is, God. And you kind of skip through the list and, and then you say, amen. But Paul's concept of prayer, I think, was when it's constant, when it's going on all the time, as you face a, a situation, you're saying, God, what do I do here? You see an opportunity? God, how shall I respond to this opportunity? It's an ongoing dialogue. It's an ongoing relationship throughout your day in which you're communicating. We know this, that uh, in, in all effective relationships, communication is key. Right? A counsellor will tell you that. People who have been married a long time will tell you that. Effective communication is what keeps relationships strong. Well, it's at least it's a part of it. So, this is prayer with your eyes open. It's recognizing that it is not just me kneeling beside my bed at night, or sitting there with my coffee in the morning and reading my, you know, my word for the day, and, and then saying, right, God, you know, let it be. But it's saying every moment that I encounter, everything that I go through, I'm committing it to you. And you guide me, you Tell me how I should respond, Lord. Um, this is not an adver advertisement for this movie. I've heard that it's not particularly good. Uh, so um, uh, you may recognise the actors. But this is Sherlock, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr Watson. Uh, and this is where I need to get my phone 
out because I am one of the world's worst joke tellers. Because I always get the punchline uh, too early. So here we go. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson decide to go on a camping trip. After dinner and a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night and go to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes uh, awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? asked Holmes. Watson pondered for a minute. Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Holmes? Holmes is silent for a minute, then spoke. What's a new idiot? Someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so easy, isn't it, to... You could be sitting there in the morning, you know, reading the news, watching the news, having your breakfast, and you're watching, you know, this incredibly uh, drawn-out tragedy that is the Syrian uh, civil war, the conflict that's been going on in this part of the world, in the Middle East. And you could say, God, I, I just commit that situation into your hands. No one else can fix it. Only you can. And there's nothing wrong with that prayer. That's a, that's a, it's an important thing to be doing, to be aware of the bigger global issues that are, that are being faced around the world. But the question is, are you watchful in your prayer life in the sense that as you're on, sitting on the bus and you look across and you see someone that perhaps is from the Middle East, maybe a, a Syrian refugee, you don't know. Are you praying and are you asking God, and this is where the evangelism comes into it, are you asking God not only to reach that person that's sitting there, but to give you the courage or to give you the opening to somehow strike up a conversation, get to know them. If you're sitting on the same, you know, on the same bus each morning on the way to work or whatever you're doing, there could be a lot of opportunity ahead. So be watchful, be ready. See the opportunities before you and know that if your heart is in the right place, if you know why you're a Christian, then you're going to need to, and you're going to want to, share with these people that you come across. At the same time, we've got to be thankful, Paul says. So devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. We typically go, all right, well, I, I'm thankful for the things you've done for me, God. Incredibly thankful. When I remember what, they are, what those things are, which often I don't, but... You know, occasionally I remember what they are. I'm very thankful. You've been incredibly wonderful to me and my family. Uh, and and as, we, as we give thanks, you know, we look backwards. But being thankful is not just a matter of what God has done, what he has accomplished. It's also about what he is going to accomplish. And we need to be thankful for what he is going to do because those promises are rock solid. It is our belief that is shaky. But his promises are rock solid. In Mark uh, chapter 6, verse 41, 
when Jesus is about to uh, perform this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, having, having taken these loaves and fish, he takes the loaves, it says in verse 41, and before he breaks them and, and divvies them out, he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God, not only for what he's just received, this little lunch from, from a young man who was very generously offering it up, but Jesus is saying, thank you God for what you're about to do. Thank you for the absolutely impossible thing that you're going to do through me. I mean, you can imagine the disciples at that moment just saying, right, okay, well, we'll see you back at camp, you know, Jesus, because they're, they're going to head for the shops. They're, they're going to make the long trek back to where there is some sort of civilized establishment that will serve them, you know, sustenance. And as they're kind of getting ready to, to, to pack up and go, he's doing this. He's giving thanks for what's about to happen. And it's going to blow their minds. So as we pray, be thankful for what he has done and all the many things he has done. But be thankful at the same time for what he's doing right now and what he will do. Those things that are beyond the realms of possibility in a human sense, but are absolutely possible for God. Just to come back to this idea of this, this constant sort of devotion uh, in prayer. First Thessalonians 5.17, Paul, Paul also talks about praying continually, or praying without ceasing in the New American Standard. I like the, 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 the New American Standard, you know, when it says pray without ceasing. There, there shouldn't really be an interruption in this prayer life. It should just be this one long kind of, not monologue, because that's, that's where, you know, uh, we may often go with this sort of thing, where we're doing all the talking. But a dialogue, it goes both ways. Where even if no words are being spoken, as we might imagine it, we are listening and we are watchful and thankful and always mindful of what God is doing in our lives. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And this is really crucial, and I think this is why uh, we sometimes misunderstand these types of passages, uh, like the one in Colossians. Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Again, this comprehensive prayer life. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Can we emphasize it enough? Apparently not, according to Paul. You're always praying, he says. You should be. But not like, you know, the 30-hour epic world, you know, um, world record uh, interview where you can barely, barely keep yourself awake at the end of it. But a very natural dialogue discussion, meditation on who God is and what he's doing and what he's going to do. But we've got to learn what that means. What does it mean to be praying in the spirit? I don't think it's a super uh, spiritual concept. But rather it's something that comes from the next passage. So, as I said before, be thankful for what has been accomplished, but also for what will be accomplished. Be thankful, be watchful, be praying constantly, without ceasing.
And so this is really, I think, the linchpin for this, for this passage. This is, this is the, kind of the moment where really everything in this uh, few verses that we're looking at this morning kind of hinge. And it's with these words. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul is a prisoner in Rome at this time as he writes this letter to the Colossians. That's the context. But he's asking, nonetheless, for an opportunity to just go forward, to to plow forward with the mission that he's been given. This evangelistic quest that he is on, which will not stop until he dies. He's looking for every opportunity. This is what it means to be watchful. And thankful at the same time. He's, he's sitting there in chains. He's writing this letter. And yet he's, he's imploring them. You know, come on. Don't, don't, don't settle for, uh, you know, for the occasional uh, outreach event. Don't settle for talking to your neighbours uh, in situations that are overtly um, you know, secular. Don't, don't hold back. Be watchful, be thankful, be constantly praying for those opportunities that you might reach out. But of course, Paul says, it takes God to arrange these moments. And only God knows how they will play out. But we do know that if we are in uh, touch with him, if we are listening to him and mindful of the opportunities, then he's going to uh, make it very clear to us what we need to do in those moments of opportunity. When a door opens, when, when someone who has a need, when someone has a question, when someone is going through a crisis, shows that they are prepared for you to come into their world for a moment at least. Jump in there. And proclaim the mystery of Christ. This is, this is really, this is the crucial phrase I think of this passage. Proclaim the mystery of Christ. Because once you're there, once you're at that that moment of jumping in and saying, right, here goes, I'm going to share my faith. Let's see what happens. If people laugh at me, people, you know, smile in that kind of knowing way, oh yeah, you're one of those, you know, religious people. Well, that's all very well if you know what it's about. But what if you don't know what it's about? What if you can't really articulate the faith? What if you can't actually explain what this mystery of Christ is about? And I I would challenge you this morning to ask yourself that question. Ask it of God. What is the mystery of Christ? Because Paul says in the next part, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. He doesn't want to mess this up. He doesn't want to get this wrong. This mystery has to be explained and it's got to be explained Clearly and simply. So that's the question for you this morning. Can you do that? If you were asked to explain what this mystery of Christ is to a person who doesn't know Christ, what are you going to say? Well, thankfully, we've actually been given some understanding of what this mystery is. In some uh, branches of the, the Christian church, 
particularly in those older, more traditional branches. Mystery is encouraged. You know, the, the, uh, the smoke, the incense, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's all part of the ritual. It's designed to keep you, uh, I suppose, in a sense of awe. But it isn't, it isn't really supposed to be like that. I mean, I have no problem with candles. I like incense. It's all great. Um, I like bath bombs as well. But, uh, but, but what it's really about is not actually keeping people in ignorance. It's not about keeping people in the dark. The mystery has been revealed, Paul tells us. And we only have to go back a few pages. Colossians 1, verses 25 to 27. And this is why this is my favorite letter. Almost, uh, it's up there. It's up there. But it's, it's one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. Because this is the stuff that spoke to me when I was 18 years old. And I was trying to understand what it was that I should be sharing with people. Because apparently I was supposed to be sharing with people about Jesus. But what was I exactly sharing with them? Well, it was the answer to this mystery that Paul, Paul describes. So he says, I have become its servant, meaning the church, the servant of the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery revealed. Christ in you, working through you, doing it all, for you. Now you obviously have to respond. It's not you're not a, not a robot. You're not an automaton. But he's working in you, and he's doing the things that you could never do before. He's doing them for you, and he gives you the love for the lost, and he gives you the words when there would only be silence, and he gives you the love, or the perseverance, I should say, to carry on when people reject it. But that's the reason that we are Christians. Not just to get us into heaven, not just to give us eternal life, not just to give us a, you know, a set of wonderful directions by which we, we are supposed to live, according to the Bible, but the very relationship with God himself, with the creator, who can do the very things that we can't do in us and through us. Andrew Murray, um, again, a, a wonderful, um, wonderful man of God who, uh, I suppose, what, early in the 20th century was, or late 19th century, I can't remember now, uh, was, was very active in, in evangelism and, and, and explaining this message that Paul's talking about. He said this, A dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. And that living Christ is living in us if we believe, if we know Christ. So verse 5, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. This is where the kind of we shift from the, the emphasis on prayer to, to now the emphasis on evangelism. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Of course, it's all happening within the context of this constant prayer, right? This, this prayerful devotion. Well, how do we... How do we do this? How do we respond? How do we show wisdom when relating to outsiders? 
I mean, these times we live in right now in, in New Zealand call for more wisdom than ever. People are asking questions. Again, it's a bit smaller than it. Oh, you can kind of see it better. Um, this is John Hunt. He's one of my uh, spiritual heroes, if you're allowed to have those. Um, he was an English missionary who went to Fiji in the 19th century. And if you want, you want um, you know, some lessons on how to go into a different culture and effectively reach people for Christ, read his story. It's a powerful demonstration of this idea in verse 5 that Paul talks about. This man showed incredible wisdom of God. He learnt the language. He understood the customs. He was very sensitive to the needs and to the problems. But also, he was very much aware of what was going well in the society. And he was able to, to tailor his response to the Fijian people as he shared the gospel. Um, have a look, you know, sometime at his story. It's very powerful. But he understood that he needed to be wise. He needed the wisdom of God to relate. There had been missionaries who went into the interior of Fiji, up into the, the highlands there on the main island, and, um, and one of them very tragically made the mistake, not understanding the culture, of touching the, the hair on the head of the chief's son. Now, if you know anything about, I mean, in certain many cultures, um, there are certain parts of the body that are sacred, apart from the obvious. Um, in, in Fijian culture, it was the top of the head, the hair. You don't touch somebody's hair. Especially when they're, you know, they're an important person or related to an important person. And he did this, this missionary, not, not John Hunt, another missionary, and he was killed for it. He and the, the, the others he had journeyed there with. Misunderstandings can be serious in their implications, or in, in their consequences, I should say. But um, we don't have to be living in fear. We should have, at the same time, a confidence to boldly share these things. Because we know what we're about, and we know that it's worth dying for. We know that it is why we bother living because we have Christ in us. So know the language and culture of those you witness to, but most importantly, speak in the higher language of God's love. And that's what John Hunt ultimately demonstrated. He had the wisdom to navigate culture, language, you know, the setting that he was in. But what spoke volumes to the people that he reached out to was the love. And of course, the fact that he did all of that stuff, that he learned the language and culture and understood their their context, was evidence of that love. But it was there in everything he did. Make the most of every opportunity. How often do we do this? And of course, one of the key words this morning is fear. For many people, it is fear. Fear of public speaking, perhaps. Or fear of just striking up a conversation with a stranger because, well, you're an introvert and you're not really one of those loud people that, you know, brashly goes out there and just crashes into someone else's conversation in order to, 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 to make friends, to strike up your own conversation. Um, I'm a bit more of a, the extrovert, so uh, I don't always understand what, why people are so afraid. But when it comes to actually ev evangelizing, that can afflict, you know, that, that fear can afflict anyone. 
So the question is, uh, how do we overcome that fear? I think, again, we go back to that, that key point in the middle of the passage. That when you know why Christ died for you, you understand what the mystery is that Paul refers to, then you can't help but want to share this in a wise way, in a compassionate way, in a loving way. But confidently, boldly, joyfully. Because this is good news. Evangelism. The word evangelism comes from this idea of sharing good news. It's, 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 it's about good news. So don't apologize for having something better to offer people. And, you know, as I said before, the times we live in, it's very easy for people, particularly for Christians, to start to apologize for who they are and what it is that we unequivocally believe in and what we state when we profess our faith. But we don't need to apologize. It isn't a question of being arrogant. It's not a question of trying to dominate in terms of our worldview. It's simply a question of introducing people to someone that we know. It is, it is merely an introduction to a friend that will make the difference between life and death. And finally, in verse 6, that your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. If you've ever had Randall at the back there do um, a barbecue for you, you will understand what he can do with salt. He is an absolute magician when it comes to, to, uh, to cooking meat on a barbecue. And he knows how to use salt in exactly the right way. You're going to get a lot of invitations now, aren't you, to people's places for, 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 for barbecues. But um, he, he can do something amazing. Apparently it's a South African thing. Um, I mean, I should know I'm married to a South African, but, but this, is, this is something next level. Uh, he can take that salt and, he, and just a bit of meat, and he can, he can put it together in such a way that... It draws out flavors from meat that you never knew existed. And that's the purpose of salt, especially as, as Paul was talking about it, and as Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. Salt is there to enhance, to bring to life what was supposed to be evident in the first place. But some, somehow, through this broken world, through sin, has been lost, has been forgotten, has been corrupted. Salt brings to life As grace, especially gracious speech, illumines life. So finally, this last part of the passage, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Do you have an answer for everybody? Do you know everything about apologetics? I don't. And I really enjoy apologetics. And every time I listen to another interview by, say, someone like uh, William Lane Craig or um, Ravi Zacharias or people like that, um, I'm like, man, I really am, am woefully inadequate when it comes to sharing this, this gospel message with people, especially people that you know, are very into, into the intellectual arguments around the existence of God and whether we can take the Bible seriously. I don't have all that information. I'm trying, I'm trying to, to take it on board. I'm trying to learn it so that I can use it in an effective way to reach people. But the fact is that we do have, as believers, all that we need 
not only in Scripture, but in the person of Christ as he lives in us. And we're told this in John 14, verse 26, and I'm going to stop here. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And in the moment that you need to know what to say to a person who is going through a situation that you have never been through yourself, perhaps nothing even like it, he can give you the words and he can give you and bring to mind a passage from Scripture that will speak to them in that moment. Of course, you need to be reading the Scripture. He's not going to give you a recall of something you never bothered to try and learn in the first place. But he's going to give you the words and it's going to be spot on. It's going to be absolutely relevant to what they're going through. Because he understands their problems and he's using you as a mouthpiece. So I hope this morning that at least I've got some questions going in your mind. Perhaps you've been struggling with this notion of what does it mean to be evangelistic, to reach out and to do so in a natural way. Can you do it without it feeling forced? Sometimes it's going to feel forced, like so many things that you're, you're, you're not used to doing. But I keep coming back to that realization, particularly the key idea in the middle of that passage, that it is Christ who lives in you and will do this work through you. And he will give you the love for the lost that may be lacking at times in your natural self. So if it's going to be natural, let it be natural in the spirit of Christ. Let him naturally take over. And when it comes to the old life, the old self, let it die a natural death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you so much for who you are in us and what you have done in us and what you're doing in us and what you promise you will do in us. And we know, Lord, those promises are rock solid. We know, too, that in everything that you did in your ministry on this earth, you modeled for us what it looks like to be naturally depending on the Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the one who advises and instructs, helps us in our deliberations, and points out opportunities, and gives us the encouragement to take them. We pray for those who do not know you. We reach out to them without apologizing, Lord, because we know that you called us in confidence to boldly go forward and to share this life-saving, life-changing message. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus.